Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi there and welcome to the Explaining History podcast and in this podcast today I want to talk about the relationship between the United States and nationalist China at the end of the Second World War and at the commencement or the recommencement of the Chinese Civil War which would end in 1949 with a communist victory under Mao Zedong. In early 1946 George Marshall uh, the former uh, chief of the U.S. General Staff, uh, America's top soldier, uh, came to China um, after his uh, ex- exceptional talent in military organization and uh, marrying together military necessities and political realities during the Second World War. He believed that it was possible for him to help uh, the US to help broker a truce in China in the resurgent civil war that had broken out from 1945 onwards between the communists and the nationalists. By 1946 this war would have been ongoing for 20 years on and off and there were, it was viewed in uh, Washington as being uh, the, almost the unfinished business of the Second World War in Asia. And despite the strong links that the Americans had had with the nationalists in China uh, and the uh, fighting that American and nationalist forces had done together in China, uh, in Burma and in other parts of the uh, China-Burma-India theatre, there seemed to be an immense amount of naivety uh, in Washington about the inner workings of uh, both communist and nationalist politics. On the 4th of March, uh, the uh, general flew to Yan'an to meet Mao at the communist headquarters there in the far northeast of China. Uh, Marshall himself was uh, a a profound anti-communist. He was far more from the Truman camp of confronting communist expansion than from the Roosevelt way of thinking about these sorts of things. 
But as um, Americans and uh, British uh, attaches and generals had been impressed by the stoicism and discipline of Stalin and Stalin's troops, so when Marshall met Mao again, he thought that he was a man of real substance, and he was impressed about the tenacity of the Chinese communist troops. The reality, of course, was that it had been the nationalists that had borne much of the brunt of fighting uh, against the uh, Japanese uh, from 1937 onwards, and not the communists. The trip that Marshall takes to China in 1946 in many ways seals the fate of Chiang Kai-shek, because Marshall becomes convinced that there is no future for the nationalists in China, just as when Marshall was to visit Europe and subsequently give his famous address to uh, Harvard University on the 5th of June 1947, in which he essentially um, revealed what he saw as being Europe's future. So too, his views on China were equally influential a year earlier. Having had what he believed to be some plain talking from Mao, Marshall uh, met uh, Chang uh, and found him to be a very superficial character, um, a rather pompous figure who liked to be referred to as Gemellissimo, who enjoyed uh, uniforms and had um, become quite a corrupt figure um, as his administration had worn on from the, the late 1920s onwards. This was not the Chang of his youth, a uh, powerful figure who had taken on China's warlords, who, um, along with ministers like T.V. Sung, had uh, brought about a great deal of modernisation, financial and economic modernisation in China. This was an entirely uh, more uh, decadent character, one who had come to really enjoy the trappings of power, and one for whom Marshall had very little time. There seemed to me to be some very interesting parallels between Chang and the US government in 1946 and the DM government in Vietnam in the late 1960s, or the early 1960s, I beg your pardon. In the first case, it was abundantly clear to Marshall that this uh, corrupt uh, government of generals and landlords had very little to offer the peasants and very little popular support. In the latter case, when, uh, when a, a similar junta, uh, junta was in charge uh, in Vietnam, there seemed to be very little understanding that there would ultimately be no popular appeal for this government, no matter what its anti-communist credentials might be. America became increasingly reluctant to help Chiang um, and the flow of arms whilst uh, it uh, continued was given ever more begrudgingly. Certainly this was uh, far from how things had been a few years beforehand when uh, as much material assistance as was possible was offered on a lend-lease basis during the Second World War and the struggle against Japan. Uh, the uh, failing economic failings of China, the chaos that the country was in, and once again, the question of corruption had um, marred uh, Chang's regime, and certainly Washington was unwilling to allow American dollars to fill Chinese generals' pockets. Both Mao and Chang 
uh, though it's difficult to judge with what degree of sincerity on either side, said that they would accept a ceasefire when uh, Marshall met the pair of them. Um, the story of the next three years is a very instructive one. By the end of the Second World War, the nationalists held most of the country. Uh, under them were nearly 500 million Chinese. They controlled most of the uh, fertile farmland. Um, they controlled nearly all the big cities. And the communists, once they controlled um, the north and the east, which was uh, a territory which contained about 150 million people, still didn't seem by 1945 to be a credible threat to the power of the nationalists. The nationalists had come close to wiping the communists out in the, the uh, late 1930s. But within three years, this situation had been reversed, in part to do with America's withdrawal and Stalin's support for Mao, uh, which comes rather belatedly. But it's also to do with something else. It's to do with the fact that uh, when the majority of Chinese people decided that there were the nationalists had very little to offer them, this is when you suddenly see uh, large uh, transitions uh, occurring and the failure of the nationalist regime to do any kind of uh, meaningful work in the uh, changing of life conditions for the majority of Chinese people. It's not to say there weren't modernizations, there certainly were, but uh, yeah, endemic corruption and um, the concentration of power and wealth in a small number of hands uh, does nothing to endear the regime to the people. Mao, in the early 70s, when he uh, finally accepted a visit from a now repentant Japan, told the Japanese Prime Minister at the time that um, he couldn't have thanked Japan more for all the help they did in help uh, they gave in helping the communists to power. He said, you know, without the anarchy that you wrought in China, we would never have um, been able to unseat the nationalists. So thanks very much. One of the problems that China's civil war presented to America was that the uh, very loose kind of embryonic vision that Roosevelt had for a post-war order, which never really reached its full expression because he was ill and he died, um, of a kind of a multipolar world, was incapable of um, being realised. Roosevelt thought that the Americans, the British, the Russians and the Chinese, as four great powers, would be able to um, establish spheres of influence, of which China's would be Southeast Asia, uh, and each of these powers would agree to respect the interests of the other. In doing so, the Chinese um, would become part of the means by which the world was regulated. A, a multipolar world is in a lot less volatile in many ways than a bipolar world, as uh, any power acting out of line immediately has three others that will gang up on it and say, back down. And that means that spheres of influence, uh, wherever they are, will be uh, protected, and that there won't be any um, transgression of those spheres of influence, or it will be highly unlikely, and therefore you're unlikely to get wars more particularly unlikely to get a global war like the one you just had. So 
the uh, Chinese Civil War, when China couldn't be a participant in the, this new theorised system, uh, and it also meant that the, I mean, the, the British are also out of the picture as they are bankrupt. And so instead of getting a multipolar world, you get a, a Cold War bipolar world emerging, which is highly volatile. But for ordinary Chinese people, life within China was extremely difficult. Not only had over 12 million people been killed uh, during the Second World War, after the devastation of the Soviet Union, the, China, the Japanese pillaging of China um, is the greatest, uh, shows that accounts for the greatest death toll uh, of the war. But in 1946-47, the uh, cost of living starts to dramatically escalate. The cost of living in Shanghai, for example, that year, was 900 times its pre-war level. So uh, poverty and hyperinflation obviously go hand in hand at this point. China had had an immense value to the USA during the Second World War, and it had been a place in which many um, if Japan's uh, most significant offensives, like the Ichigo Offensive, um, had been fought, and it also had become a site for air bases by which to uh, bomb the Japanese home islands before the Pacific Islands were seized, and it also uh, drew uh, large numbers of uh, Japanese soldiers away from America's war in the Pacific. It was widely understood on both sides um, in China, the communists and the nationalists, that fighting would resume as soon as the Japanese had been defeated. And the starting pistol, really, for the Chinese resumption of the Chinese Civil War is the dropping of the atomic bomb on Hiroshima. Um, the American uh, military mission to China had been led by uh, Vinegar Joe Stilwell, um, called Vinegar because of his acidic wit, um, a talented uh, military man, but one who had, was was under no illusions about Chang, and was also highly critical of China. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Itself, uh, in 
Victor Sebastian's 1946, he quotes an interview with Time magazine, where Stilwell says, The trouble in China is simple. We're allied to an ignorant, illiterate, superstitious peasant's son of a bitch, by which he meant Chiang Kai-shek. He added in an official communique to the War Department, Anything that's done in China will be done in spite of, not because of, Chiang and his military clique. The army is generally in a desperate condition, underfed, underpaid, undertrained, neglected and rotten with corruption. We can pull them out of this cesspool, but continued concessions have been made, uh, have made the Generalissimo believe that only uh, that he has only to insist and we will yield, um, he later said to Washington. The Chinese government is a structure based on fear and favour in the hands of an ignorant, arbitrary and stubborn man. So he had uh, little good to say about Chiang Kai-shek. When Stilwell paid his first visit to China uh, and began to draw his uh, unflattering conclusions about Chiang, he also learned that uh, half a billion dollars uh, uh, essentially vanished. Uh, this was money that had been given in grants and loans to the nationalist government and had disappeared into the bank accounts of, uh, among others, T.V. Sung, um, who had uh, been the principal operative in negotiating the loans in the first place. Um, these loans were devised in such a way as to benefit Sung as much as possible uh, and to be basically as, as little use to China and its war efforts. Um, and the uh, for personal fortune that Sung uh, amassed was really largely based on embezzlement. One of the natural constituencies of the nationalists should have been the urban middle class of China, um, the, the merchants, the white-collar workers, and the people who stood most to lose from the communists. But it was uh, the this kind of embezzlement and corruption and graft uh, that naturally alienated that constituency. And another key constituency that would have been very helpful to have on board was Middle America itself. Uh, the flow of newspaper stories, most of them accurate and uh, balanced, into American newspapers about the corruption of Chiang Kai-shek uh, left American taxpayers tired of ex um, high taxes from wartime and wartime obligations to other countries, feeling resentful that American money was going to line the pockets of uh, Chinese dictators. Chiang Kai-shek uh, was not unaware of the level of graft and wrote in his diary that close aides were indulging in extreme extravagance, whoring wildly and gambling with no restraint. They brag, swagger, extort and stop at nothing. But he did nothing to uh, prevent any of this. Chiang Kai-shek, apocryphally, when the uh, Japanese attacked uh, Pearl Harbor, uh, put on uh, one of his favourite records, Aida, and, and danced around the room in uh, nothing left less than a bridal jury that now he would have America on his side in the, the struggle uh, against Japan. And he had... Uh, perhaps become too accustomed to seeing America as his sole source of um, survival and his sole source of, of finance. 
Perhaps the one thing that did go in Chiang Kai-shek's favour with the American government, if not the American public, was the fact that the nationalists had put in significant efforts into fighting the Japanese. Uh, Mao, as I previously mentioned, had done basically nothing and had hoped that the Japanese and the nationalists would destroy one another and then he would be able, with the his, uh, the communist forces um, he had amassed to sweep into central China at the end of the war and uh, pick up the pieces. Communist myth-making after 1949 had it that Mao was at the front of anti-Japanese resistance and there are even now revisionist films um, that show uh, Mao uh, miraculously appearing at wartime conferences uh, which uh, obviously is is utterly ludicrous. Uh, Chiang Kai-shek appeared uh, at the Cairo conference uh, but that was the, uh, the, the limit of it. Certainly Mao didn't leave China during the war. And one of the key reasons why it was important not to engage the Japanese is because they were significantly better at fighting than uh, the uh, Chinese communists and Lin Biao, um, the Red Army commander who later went on to be one of Mao's favourites, um, dying in the Cultural Revolution, uh, later said that it was better that the Chinese keep their powder dry um, and avoid direct conflict with the much more skilled and better equipped uh, Japanese. One way that Mao uh, did spend his time during the war was refining in Yunnan many of the basic principles of uh, Maoist governance that he would employ after 1949. Um, His uh, Maoist terror uh, was piloted in Yunnan, there was the uh, embryo of collectivization and self-criticism. Um, the uh, party uh, that, as far as Mao was concerned, periodically became uh, too complacent, too arrogant, uh, and needed to be brought back into line. But um, party officials and um, uh, soldiers were forced into the kind of the, the torment of self-criticism that would be used uh, during uh, events such as the Cultural Revolution and the Hundred Flowers Campaign. And an interesting phenomenon happens once again when um, the prior to Marshall meeting Mao, when uh, other American officers during the war, uh, diplomats during the war, met him when Chang would allow them through in small parties into Yunnan territory, is that as Stalin had done a reasonably good charm offensive on Roosevelt and led Roosevelt to believe that uh, the uh, Soviet state would eventually settle down into something far more um, liberal and far more pluralistic, that really Mao um, was a, a, a very kind of moderate figure who wanted to simply raise the living standards of China's peasants, which no doubt he ostensibly did do, um, but there was very little understanding of the bloodthirsty methods that he would use in order to do this. Um, and there was a, a view that was reported back to Washington that Mao was essentially a fairly democratic figure, a mild agrarian socialist, something far more um, liberal uh, than even many of the um, socialist partisan groups in places like the uh, the Balkans that 
were allies of convenience to uh, United States and, and Great Britain. So these sorts of ideas about Mao, however misleading, filtered back to Washington and influenced thought at Washington, um, particularly uh, when it came to questions as to whether to continue supporting Chiang Kai-shek. Uh, obviously, the uh, American administration under Truman doesn't want Chiang Kai-shek to fall and doesn't want a communist government in China. But the the logic is, well, do we want to continue pouring American money into these corrupt pockets? Um, and if we do, will it be any the better for China? And if we walk away, will China fall to um, a, a Chinese Stalin or will this Mao figure be, you know, of the left, but not quite as bad as we feared. And it enables, perhaps, American diplomats and decision-makers to convince themselves that there is little invested in the uh, continued support of Chiang Kai-shek. The Americans were, of course, unaware at this point that Mao was financing much of the communist cause through opium, the Soviets were well aware of this and uh, reminded him from Moscow that uh, uh, drug dealing and socialism rarely, uh, rarely went hand in hand. Um, Mao thought that there was such a great deal of potential in um, dealing opium throughout Asia that it would be folly to give this up in the name of ideology. Uh, and indeed, uh, the uh, million or so uh, half-kilogram parcels of opium that were distributed throughout Asia each year during the 1940s gives you a, gives you a clue as to uh, how much revenue was raised. And within the uh, dynamic between Moscow and Mao, would be the seeds of later hostility to come. Mao uh, worships Stalin, admires him. If you read Frank Dakota's books, there's um, abundant evidence there um, that Mao uh, looked upon Stalin as a, a tutor. Um, there is, if you look in the, the Marxist Internet Archive, look at Mao's letters about Stalin. There's many, uh, many a uh, writing to Stalin or about Stalin is his, his, his gushing in, in his praise. He gets to meet Stalin for the first time in 1949 and he's kept waiting um, for a significant period of time over the winter 49 to 50. Um, and when it is kind of Stalin's birthday uh, celebrations. And he believed that having brought a kind of a quarter of humanity under the communist banner, he would be welcomed with open arms by Stalin. Stalin doesn't see it like that. He, Stalin sees Mao not only as a kind of a, a heretical figure who doesn't um, conform to the basic principles of Stalinism and sees a, a different approach to communism emerge, but also the potential of a, an, an existential threat to his leadership of the communist world. Um, that's a kind of a slightly bigger uh, topic area. Um, one which I think we'll we have pursued in the past, the Mao-Stalin relationship, and we'll talk again uh, about uh, in the future. But the next podcast we're going to do on this um, is going to look at what happens when um, it's decided in America that the uh, Chinese, the support for the Chinese nationalists can go no further.
And later in 1946, that's precisely what happens when George Marshall um, decides that really there is no further scope for uh, helping Chiang Kai-shek. Okay, well, I hope you found that useful. Um, apologies, by the way, for the delay in podcasts recently. Uh, essentially, uh, life and other things uh, work and the unfortunate inevitabilities of modern existence intrude periodically. Um, but thanks very much for everyone's continued support. If you want to say hi, drop by our Facebook page, Explaining History on Facebook. and uh, Or if you can, go and give us a good thumbs up at iTunes. Uh, every review does a heck of a lot of good for us, so please give that a shot. Anyway, I shall speak to you all soon. All the best. Bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.